Hello and welcome to Between Two Servers, the show where we talk about multiplayer game development and netcode. With me today, we have Eden Chen and Chris Cobb from Pragma. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, glad to be here. Awesome. So, hey, where are you, where are you both based? We are uh, both in Los Angeles. I live in uh, South LA in a neighborhood called Crenshaw. Yep, and I'm Seattle native, but uh, here in LA now. That's awesome. What do you think of LA from a Seattle point of view? I think we only thought we'd be here a few years when we got kids, but uh, we found a cool little neighborhood, and uh, you know, it's nice to be able to throw the kids out in the backyard every time they get too noisy. So that's awesome. <laughs> okay. So tell me a bit about your background. So Eden, um, what's what's your background, and and what what did you do before you started Pragma? Yeah, so I uh, grew up in the D.C. area, um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I played uh, Warcraft a lot when I was was young. Well, and before that, I was playing StarCraft and uh, started on a team called Elite Nine when I was in high school that uh, was one of the top U.S. Uh, oh, my Warcraft God. Games. We have, what is it with professional players turning into game developers these days? Everybody. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've heard of I've heard of. Heard of it several. Uh, so actually went to college and I stopped playing games altogether because I had, I was, you know, in that pro scene, extremely, extremely competitive. And I was, a, just was not fun anymore for you because you were competing so hard. Uh, I think like I didn't want to play unless I was going to be great. And I knew I didn't have the time to be great without failing out of college. Wow. <laughs> that, was the, <laughs> that was the main basis. <laughs> so, and I wasn't like a great student in high school. So I was just like, maybe I should try to figure out how to do this like school thing so that I could like eventually get a job. And back then there was no real esports industry. It was like, you know, you might go to like a tournament in Vegas or something and the prize pool would be like a thousand dollars or you know, it's still uh, pretty cool though. So this, yeah, this yeah. was in Starcraft or Warcraft? I was in Warcraft three, uh, Warcraft Frozen 3. the expansion was the one I was, uh, the best at. That's awesome. And yeah. And then, um, I started doing programmatic trading when I was in, in college. Uh, the, I got into programmatic trading because I, I picked a business major because I thought it was going to be the easiest major. Um, and that would allow me to play more video games at the time. When I was, that was the thinking. So my first, <laughs> my like freshman class schedule was like my classes didn't start until 1 p.m. So I, could, I was like playing games until like 4 a.m., going to sleep, waking up at noon, going to get food. And then I go to class at like 1 p.m. Wow. But uh, yeah, I happened to somehow do well my freshman year because it was all like, you know, the, the boring, easy classes. And then after I did well for the one year, I was like, maybe I should apply myself. And because I was already like a business major, I was like, well, since I programmed in high school, I was like, what if I could do some like programmatic trading type stuff? So that's how I got into that. Um, ended up getting like fairly lucky and coming up with some, some algorithms that did well in college and then took that into starting a hedge fund after college. What? And yeah, I ran that for a couple of years. I had, just, like, your a, normal, just your normal post-college yeah. experience really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so I, so I actually did investment bank. I took my I, winnings from my automated trading algorithm that I wrote in my spare time while not playing competitive Warcraft 3 Frozen Throne expansion. And then I created a hedge fund. Yeah. That, I mean, so I, I worked in banking for two years in the middle no of biggie, that. No biggie. No biggie. Yeah. Yeah. The, then I did the fund. Then okay. I had like an existential crisis of like, what do hedge funds do to add value to the world? Yeah. What, am I, what am I doing with my life? 
Um, and then I that then I left and uh, so you decided to create it. another existential crisis. What do games do that? <laughs> I, I can at least justify that uh, whether whether it's accurate or not is is another question. But um, so I, yeah. I had my my mother actually told me when I was I always knew I wanted to be a programmer and I always knew I wanted to make games. And uh, you know I, I was actually playing Quake. Q, you know Q1 test. This is 90, 95, 96 ish. Um, and uh, I was in a clan and doing pretty good, but there wasn't really much of a pro scene in Australia. Yeah, but I was yeah. playing pretty much like all day. Um, and, uh, I think at one point my mom kind of told me, she's like, Hey, with that and $2.50, you can get a nice cup of coffee. Basically it's not worth anything. <laughs> if you have to explain the joke, does the joke really work? That's literally what she said. And I thought it was pretty funny. And the cool thing is that she's a teacher. And in my first job, I earned more than she ever had in her entire life when I started game development. You and that's proved her wrong. That's 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 it, mom. I mean, we 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 all we, well again like. <laughs> I'm gonna get trouble if my mom watches this. Oh yeah, I mean like my parents used to. I remember my so my parents wouldn't get me a console system, so I I didn't have uh, any console or anything, which all my friends had of course. So I started playing computer games because of that, and I just remember just having to like control escape alt tab out, and then like my parents learned how to read that the like the bottom of the. Of the of the tab had the game like they didn't know that how to read it like a like whatever it's called the the bottom bar and so like then I got like a emulator thing that that made a fake bar on the bottom uh, <laughs> just like over I mean it's just like outsmarting after outsmarting so wow. now now the jokes on jokes on the parents because it's like I work in games now yep yep yeah so so Chris tell me about your fantastical upbringing did you raise dragons I did in fact. Um, wow. Yeah, so I mean, for me, yeah, games kind of hooked me early, uh, you know, similar story. Um, and it was like twofold, which was one, you know, my parents uh, had the little like comic from the the times that had the, you know, uh, hopeful parents. And it was like the kid on the video game console. And it's like, can you save the princess $100,000? So it was actually like a, you know early preview of the esports scene, which is incredible. So they had that up on the fridge for a long time. Uh, but yeah, I had the same thing as Eden in terms of trying to like hide how I was playing games. And uh, I, I got my first console after apparently I made a list in kindergarten of all the kids at school who had video games. And I was like trying to target my friends based on who had a game console. So my mom thought maybe if we get him one, he can be friends with everyone. And I don't know if that worked or not, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> my yeah, first so... console was the Sega Saturn. That was the first one they let me get. Wow. So, yeah. It wasn't a good one, but anyways, <laughs> that's, that's not a great console to start your one. No, when, I, no. when I was, when I was starting, everyone else had the C64 or the Amiga. And I was like, I, my dad had the uh, original IBM AT and with the 24 pin dot matrix printer. And it was wow. like the bomb in 1988. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then it sort of slowly up, but I always had a PC. So there was really, I mean, there were some pretty cool games on the PC scene, but, but, it, but the Amiga was way ahead ludicrously ahead so so i was so bored that i had to code yeah <laughs> so that's how i got into it so chris did you did you go to college or did you jump right yeah, into so industry I, or what was your background I, yeah so i mean i basically declared computer science undergrad fall quarter freshman year they kind of let me into the discipline before taking the prereqs and i don't even know i was just dead set on it and for me i guess programming and gaming just like fit together but then coming out of school, I started at Microsoft doing like large scale backend for like ad ad platforms and oh the God, notion you went, of you went yeah. to the dark side. 
what's going on? Yeah, well, so the notion of working in games just like didn't even like I didn't even connect that, even though it's because of games that I wanted to study comp sci. And then after a short while, through some mentors of mine, they realized how you know uh, excited about games I was. So then uh, they helped connect me to a f- former friend of theirs who had been uh, was over at PopCap, and so that's how I kind of jumped over. And that was a fascinating group because it was a bunch of core gamers making casual games, and it was just a fascinating. It's like uh, the core audience is, you know. Um, you know, uh, women and just like, it wasn't the core gamer genre, but all the game developers there were just intense. So the polish and the quality, you just had a lot of early lessons in how much the attention to detail matters and you play Bejeweled and then you play the 10,000 clones of Bejeweled and it's actually just night and day. So it was actually a pretty cool first, first touch experience. It's an awesome game. Um, so, so how did you, how did you folks all end up working together at Pragma? What's, what's the story bridging your, both of your very, very divergent initial careers? Yeah. Well, how did you meet and found Pragma together? Well, before, you, before that question, Chris forgot to mention that he was chasing a, a woman, which made Ooh. him like, uh, who's his wife now? Um, and well, then that, that story is socially acceptable. <laughs> well, I mean, he, he was, uh, what, you, when you went to college at like 16 or something, right? Yeah, I graduated high school when I was 16, but it, yeah, I wasn't academically motivated. <laughs> it's like, get this over with. <laughs> That's the other part of it. Uh, yeah, the way that Chris and I, <laughs> we, we actually met through like a friend in church, actually. Uh, that I think that, wait, was that the, yeah, that was the original way that we met as like, there's not a lot of tech people in the church scene. And I think he was just like, oh, you guys are both in tech didn't know that we were like in vastly different <laughs> areas of tech. Like you guys should know each other. And at the time, Chris was at Riot and yeah. I had started my first tech company, a company called Fisherman Labs. And uh, we had just become friends through that. that. That was like how we first met. That's awesome. So Aiden, did you work at Riot or or is it Chris and uh, other folks that are, have the Riot background? No, I'm like the one of the outsiders. <laughs> cool. Yeah, cool. so I... Basically, we had a, a producer go over to Riot. I started playing League of Legends, became a big fan. And it was like, mm-hmm. right, really just right after their 1.0 launch. And so, you know, pretty quickly, they were having server scale issues. Yeah. That was kind of where I specialized. And so every three months on the dot, I get this call and like, hey, come to LA. And I was just like, you know, no way. I'm not going to, you know, move to California. It's <laughs> um, just like that way for about nine, uh, the third time, you know, nine months in, it was just like, hey, what if we work remote? Um, so a buddy of mine who's now at Pragma, he and I both signed up. Started working at Riot, and uh, you know that's where it was just like the the so inflection you, you point. Initially, initially remote, remote from Seattle. Yeah, that's right. Ah. Um, it was just kind of a trial, you know, just to you make know, that's sure. That's really smart of Riot, and that's quite ahead of the time, actually. Yeah, yeah. It, it worked out really nicely because then we got to meet, you know, the team and and experience the culture before we made the move. Um, and we'd start a family, so it was a little bit, you know, a big big jump. Um, but yeah, then you know, coming out of this, like Ian and I had started meeting. I started, you know going deep on business and finance and the business of games and the industry and started talking about, you know, startups. And that's when I started asking him a bunch of questions. So I basically um, resigned from Riot in 2018 after doing a a team called Player Behavior, who focused on toxicity and hate speech and all the kind of behavior systems. Mm -hmm. And then I led the anti-cheat team for a short time uh, prepping for the the Valorant launch. Um, But yeah, I basically was like, hey, Eden, like I'm going to quit my job and be a, you know, startup founder. And he's like, oh, okay. And so, you know, he tried to, he tried his best to give me advice and I pretended to be a business person, but uh, I've learned that, you know, that's not really my, my, my role, but he introduced me to investors and helped kind of guide me along that journey. Uh, did some educational games uh, and then 
you know, that wasn't really going where I wanted it to go. And it turns out, you know, raising money is hard. Uh, so we yeah. started consulting and doing some backend services. And then we ended up getting acquired by Phoenix Labs, uh, who make Dauntless. And out of that, then Eden was like, hey, like maybe we should start talking about doing something new together. And I realized that the entrepreneurial thing was definitely what I wanted to do. So, you know, we talked about basically like Eden's like, hey, let's make a game. And we started talking about how do we do backend and multiplayer and online. And I was just like, yeah, we're going to have to build that all from scratch. And, you know, I have a few friends. We've been doing this for a while. But he's just like, wait, why don't we just use off the shelf tools? Something something went off uh, in, the, <laughs> oh, yeah. in the head there. He didn't tell yeah. me about that. Well, well, Chris actually had prepared a deck that was primarily geared towards the behavioral aspect of uh, uh, of what he learned from Riot, which is like, why don't we do like like a sort of like a, a tool that was geared towards like player sort of I don't say toxicity, but just like sort of giving people a reputation score and things like that to help decrease toxicity in games and all that, and just kind of taking the learnings from Riot and. I looked at that deck and there were like all these other services to surrounding that, like, like a lot of foundational systems, like accounts and matchmaking and all these kinds of things. And I definitely was like, feels like there's a I don't want to do this. Here. Yeah. yeah and I, I knew want, nothing or, about, or more things. importantly, if I want to make a game, I don't want to do this because I'll never get to make a game. Right. Right. So, so tell me about all the foundational systems. What, 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 what are the, what are the, what are the sort of main things that you're going to need? And tell me why. Tell me why it's not super possible for a team to quickly execute them on themselves. Um, maybe, maybe I'm just going to go for a guess that it's all the different platforms you have to support. Yeah, I mean, I, I just briefly talk about the purview of what we're covering, and then yeah, Chris can tell you it. why it's hard. Because I keep telling him it's easy. Like just just put it together Chris, real quick. Just, you know, get it done. Come on, come on. Right? <laughs> I'll be done tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, just 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 put it together really quick. Uh, yeah, I mean, so the areas we cover are uh, there's kind of like three kind of large areas that all have many services related to them. Mm-hmm. The first is like account and social. That's like your account keychain and how it connects with um, all the you know providers and all your social features. And then the second big areas. So your, social your, features are like I'm playing game X. Like, like uh, the virality stuff or, or is that more like friends and invites and stuff like that? Yeah. More like friends, invites, okay, chat, okay. like that, that kind of stuff. Um, cool. Uh, the second kind of large area is uh, game loop. Which, so the game loop, I mean, you can call it a lot of different things, but that's like your lobby, your invites, your game modes, um, your matchmaking, your, your connection with the game allocator, and then your sort of end of match process in terms of just batching everything that happened in the game and then yep. sort of updating the platform. And then third kind of big area is sort of just like generally speaking content, which is just like areas like, like DLCs and updates. Oh no. So we're yeah, not even so, there so, yet. Yeah. yeah. So for on the platform side, that's like inventory progression achievements. Um, you know, it could be a quest service, anything, anything content related. Okay. Um, it's like, how do you update live grant, grinding items, tracking progress, all that kind of stuff, yeah. And there's like a, a, there's a lot of other services related to that, like um, entitlements, fulfillment, um, payments, mm-hmm. and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And it's just on and on and on you could go. But those are sort of like the three yeah. main categories. And I mean, obviously, it's just a lot of stuff that I just mentioned, which is partly why it's hard. But you know, I guess Chris can probably break down the technical challenge of doing all those things. Well, hey, go, go, Chris. Why can't I just write this in three weeks? <laughs> yeah. So um, I think it's it's a 
couple different factors at play. One is like launch day, right? And I just say it's yeah. so prevalent that you have launch day crashes now that that's expected. Uh, and and backend is definitely one of those thankless tasks that you know you only ever hear about it when something goes wrong. And so I think for a lot of studios, it's you know how scalable can you be on day one? And it's an extremely expensive prospect to come up with this bulletproof you know scales to millions platform. And you don't really know how many players are going to stick, and it's hard to predict. So one of the challenges, you know, can you hit launch day successfully? And can you build everything in time? Obviously, just the quantity, the footprint has gotten a lot more difficult. And, um, and the trade-off yeah. too. I mean, think about all of the time. Let's say, I'm not saying that it is, but let's say that I could do this in 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 two man years of work with like extremely expensive man years. Um, and uh, there's the time delay of implementing that. And then a lot of, lot of things that will be behind that. So that'll block development. I need it now. And then the next thing, of course, is they could be working on other things that will make the game more fun. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, and it becomes a bottleneck because if you can't unlock those features fast enough, again, the game team gets stuck kind of waiting on it. Um, yeah. The opportunity cost is high. And then there's, you know, there's always like man years or, you know, development years versus, um, you know, the calendar time. Right. And some and of the stuff. Where do, you, just, where do you hire the people with this experience from? <laughs> yeah. They're right now you got to well paid. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all yeah. Yeah, competing with uh, Google and Amazon, you know, for salaries, obviously, is really tough. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and then I think you just alluded to it earlier, but yeah, the cross-platform, cross-play, cross-progression oh, yeah. world. I you mean, know, even, even without cross-play, like, like, which is essential for a game to succeed today, no question. But even without that, you've got, you've got the specific implementation on Xbox Live, the specific PSN implementation. That's right. Yeah. The, the the what do you do on PC? Do you just build from scratch? You got nothing. Are you in Steam? Does Steam have a way of doing it? Are you on Epic Game Store now as well? Exactly. Maybe maybe EA is your publisher and you got to use Origin. Yep. Good luck. Right. It's brutal out there. Yeah. Absolutely it's a, brutal. Yeah. It's absolutely. Yeah. This is yep. thankless work as well. Like this is the sort <laughs> yeah. of thing that like like you got to get it done and it's got to be working great. But 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 like. This is not the sort of thing where usually you'll have like a really game focused gameplay engineer. They're not going to be excited to work on it. No. You know? Yeah. And I, one other thing I'll say too is like there are various features that are about operating a live game. And those features are typically not thought about in production, in, in development. Yeah. And, and so I'll give you an example like in the, in the content data space, for example, um, if you look at a, something like inventory, and you look at how do you version inventory in a live game? Like if you want to update a piece of inventory for whatever reason, it's, it's not balanced. How do you, how do you do that when you have millions of players or even hundreds of thousands of players playing? Then there's yeah. like things. The last like, thing you want to do is to put a patch out. You got to go put right. the whole patch through FPQA. Right. And then the client and the server both have to update and then everyone tries it and then it's broken. And then you've got to put another patch out. It's like, it's all about data driven development. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And then it's like, what do you, uh, do you have like enabling and disabling items mm -hmm. toggles? Mm -hmm. And uh, what or if you want to launch features, like, features yeah. that go out in the code and they're off initially, and then you turn it on and you, you AB test. And now you're looking at analytics and telemetry and you're seeing like, is this working? This, this shit is endless. It goes on. Yeah, it goes it's on endless. Through. Yeah. Uh, you know, you talk about seasonal items, stackable versus instance items geo region targeted mm -hmm. items mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. migration of like inventory across you know a yeah, and that, you know yeah, so let's talk about cross play now because my god you're going to have like like do, do you do you do you folks do help help me understand do you guys do you guys if i was doing this 
what I would do is, and, and again, I know I know that this is not possible, but I would just thumb my nose up at everybody and go, F you all, I'm just doing my, I'm going to write it in Golang, I'll run it in Google Cloud, everything will be fine, I got this. Five years later, maybe it'll work. And it will work great, but it's way too late for the game, right? And also, Sony is going to be like, no, that's not passing. <laughs> no, you you got to do it this way, right? Yeah. And, and but, but, so, so how do you how do you bridge this, like, really crazy like no no you got to use our specific way of doing things while also having cross play and while also enabling like well now microsoft has a different way of looking at it. now you gotta do the microsoft way yeah how do you so, do that so there there are so many layers to this so we'll like see how you know how well we can kind of break these down but uh the first is um you've got the technical integration components which is like you have to abstract the account idea away from any particular platform because what happens to a lot of studios is like okay they're building up against playstation today and then you know they decide they're going to go to steam too but if you have like the playstation id keyed to every single piece of content and inventory yeah. and throughout that whole system now you're going to do this replumbing exercise and I, i've seen that take years for studios to migrate off of so you've, kind you've of got to now have an uber id that then correlates to the platform id that's right. So, okay. so the first layer, just from a technical thing, is isolate the game platforms from your own backend yeah. system. And if you have that from the outset, you're obviously better okay. off. Then you get into your point about all the platforms have their own rules, and some of those are just like policy, right? And it's like, yeah. well, you're not allowed to download, you know, your PlayStation friends list and store that in your own platform. That's mm -hmm. you know against policy. So then it's like, okay, well, how that'd do you be, cross platform? That'd be too friends? useful for players. Not exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's an area where it's like can suddenly. I, can you... I tell you a joke before we go yeah. further? Um, I think I was at a Sony. I'm, I'm going to get myself blacklisted at Sony. I'm ex Sony, but um, I was at a Sony DevCon one year while I was at Respawn, and I was like, well, "What about crossplay?" And they're like, "Yeah, we support it. It's like uh, Vita and PS3." <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, all the consoles. Not, that's not really what I mean. Yeah. They would yeah, get, they would totally serious by the way they weren't actually joking yeah no and it, it's so so there's um the policy management which is then you need enough configuration to be able to turn things on and off based on the rules today and and again the ground shifting out from under you um yeah and then the other kind of aspect that gets into it is the the live data migrations thing that you spoke to so a lot of studios coming out of like a single player you know the difference being um when you launch a DLC, you might be updating things, but either you know players start with a new save or the DLC content is kind of isolated. But in a live game, the difference is like you can have 15 versions of the game client data stored on the platform. Yeah. And then one player shows up from you know 12 months ago, and sure they patch the latest client, but all their data is old. And that data doesn't live, you can't patch it on the game client because it's stored up in a platform on a database somewhere. So yeah. you have to build a pretty complex tool chain. And this again is in development, you just do data wipes all the time. So you're just like, oh, nuke the DB because we changed all the attributes today. Yeah, but you gotta and be able to upgrade everything all the way through because you can't have a player lose progress ever. That's yeah, yeah. that's right. So I, I was talking to a, a platform engineer on you know um uh Fortnite and he um, expressed that their backward migration from you know their season one launch is on the order of like thousands and thousands of lines of migration yeah, code, yeah, like tens and, of thousands of lines and, of code, yeah. And every time they introduce a new patch, they have to roll it all the way back and then you know they test it. Through. They got to replay it and boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Wow. So building tools, you know, for for studios uh, in that front is really crucial. And again, that stuff gets ignored when you're just trying to get the lights on your get your core services up. And then one day you go live, and if you don't have that tool chain ready. Yeah. Now you're in a really tight and, spot. And let's face it, if you don't have that tool chain ready when you launch your game, it's very unlikely you're going to make it. It's really yeah, unlikely. Never you're have gonna, that. You, you've yeah. got to you've got to have the ability to to to, to data drive changes. You've also yeah. got to have a data analytics platform. You got to see. You got to have eyes on. 
you got to see you got to see and have eyes on what players are doing and and you're you're correlating things with churn you're correlating things with higher engagement you're not just pushing a patch out and going issue fixed you're literally verifying like That's right. that doesn't happen anymore and i see it and i've done an ab test and then and even staggered deployments yeah like like it's it's not kansas anymore you don't just throw a binary out people play the client and server and, and you're done. And and guess what? You can't when you launch your game, you can't build this visibility and reactive uh, ability to do changes. You can't build it quickly enough to fix the issues you're going to get hit with after your launch. Because it the work right. doesn't the work doesn't end when you launch the game. It just it yeah. just begins. Yeah. It and if you begins. have an aggressive content schedule, exactly. You need these yeah. things to be online. And the problem is if you then have to start building those tools after you launched, you're going to just have oh this. Oh my God. There's there won't be new content that, and players are going to be. Yeah. That brings in another thing because players' ex- expectations today, it, it, no, 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 it's not just, you know, what's your, what, what season are you going to get? New season? Yeah. Like, like, where's the new content? When's, you know, when's this coming? And, and you, you now have to launch with a cross platform, cross play, data driven telemetry and metrics and data science aware system that also allows you to deploy content dynamically so that you can keep pumping out content updates to keep your players happy for how many years? Ideally, forever. Forever, yeah. <laughs> this is this is not a simple task. That's right. Wow. Yeah, and one other thing that you had mentioned in terms of like approach for us is that uh, there's sort of like the one size fits all approach, which is um, what at the sort of AAA side for these more complex live service games, we don't believe that one size can fit all. And, you know, we're kind of talking about, yeah. And so like our our, our approach to this has been, we're going to solve whatever the right number is, 80% of platform needs. And then we're architecting the platform to support extensions, plugins, and Mm -hmm. custom services. Like, so you can just write your own services. And for a lot of other services or other platforms that have tried this, if they don't have something that you, you want, you start rolling your own AWS environment. You start mm-hmm. managing your own, you know, microservices. Yeah, that's, the whole thing I'm trying to, that's the whole thing I'm trying to avoid here. Yeah, now, which, is, now again, which is, again, personally, you, I, I like running my own Google Cloud thing. I want to have my load balancer and my MIG and I'll do it in Golang. But, but I've been doing this for five years. It took me five years to transition from a person at the end of a 20-year career game development. You're doing yeah. client and server product. And I'm like, well, now I've got to learn the backend stuff. And, and I had to dive in and completely learn it from, it took me five years. Right. And now, now I feel confident that I could implement with too much time for a game, any of the components that you guys do, but I would not want to do that necessarily. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And we talked a lot about this and something what we're chatting about, you know, prior to the show is just this idea of like central tech team. And, you know, you Mm -hmm. always wouldn't dream that like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if some other team somewhere else could just solve this problem for me. And to to a degree, of course, that's, that's the goal of being a tool provider, like what we're doing, but you know, a lot of personal heartache and experience kind of went into informing how we thought about it. And, and for us, you know, you look at something like an unreal engine and I think one of the reasons studios have felt comfortable you know, adopting it um, has been the fact that you got the source code available to yeah. you. And, and that is so critical Look, if, because if it's like- you the, don't have yeah. the source code, I don't think, I, don't, I mean, personally, I mean, I wouldn't even consider any solution in that source code. Yeah. And it comes down no, to like- Just no way. Yeah. If you don't have that visibility and the control, because it's like, 
you, you're your game is going to have unique needs. There are different systems, different game system, different workflows. And it's, to some degree, of course, you want the building blocks to build your own services, but it's also like, hey, if the plumbing is, you know, something's crosswired, you have to have that visibility. And that also gets into the telemetry and live ops stuff too, which is like, you need to instrument your system, yep. you know, to the nines because you need to be able to quickly triage what's going on there. Um, and so that's a huge part of like trying to build. So we've really been heavily influenced by that game engine concept. And for us, it's like, if we want to build a backend engine, it's like, Unreal does not make a video game for you, but hopefully the knowledge embedded in it and the tools and the building blocks they've given you let you then kind of make what you need to, to, to launch a game. So let me let me bring up a technical point. And, and, and Eden, I'd like your, your opinion on this one too from a business point of view. Um, there's, there's a really interesting difference between uh, Unreal Engine's approach and Unity's approach. So I would say like Unreal is kind of more framework, right? It's like here, here. Have, have our engine and take a code drop and off you go. It does everything you could ever possibly need, but <laughs> up to you, right? Whereas Unity, I always feel is sort of like a more of a blank slate. It's like, I feel like, again, how I feel when I'm using Unity is I feel less like I have everything in a big kitchen sink dump and I've just got to learn how to use it. But I feel like I start with more like a blank slate and then I pull in the components that I really want to use. Right. So, so where personally, where do you sit on the whole framework versus, you know, components or I don't mean component systems, but I mean, like, right. you know, Library, I want to use, yeah. I want to use this sound engine and I want to use that physics engine. And, right. you know, um, how, how do you feel and how does it inform the way that you think about your tech? Yeah. So on the, from the technical lens, I think our whole team has a very like library kind of mentality. And that again, yeah. it's like, you want to use it, not yeah. have the framework use they, you. They call you, you don't boss them. Yeah. Having, yeah, having said that, though, yeah, a Sometimes lot of, you gotta. yeah, so we, we have some framework elements in, in our system. And part of that is the usefulness of having somebody else write some of your platform code. It's a lot of plumbing. It's a lot of validation. It's a lot of loading, storing. And in that sense, you kind of have a pipeline that maybe the engine is driving and then you're dropping a plugin. But importantly, we understand fundamentally that this pipeline, this framework, we are, you know, if we offer a service written more framework-y, we understand fundamentally that's just going to not be a fit for people. And anytime you get in a fight with a framework, you're going to lose. Like if you go fight Unreal Engine on the patterns it wants. And so for us, that's where the plugins and the extensions come from, which is like, hey, you can just opt out of this workflow entirely and you yep. can just author your own microservices from scratch. It still sits on top of our framework. It gets the authentication, all the security things. But yeah. basically it's like, even when we are dipping our toes in the framework side, it's just like, you can opt out of this completely because so you've we got cannot libraries force libraries that can yeah. be called that are that your framework is doing and helping exactly. guide you along, but you yeah. can go to direct the libraries. If you yeah, it's basically the library is the engine foundation. And then we might build on top of that, a, a framework piece. And then it's kind of like, hey, you can adopt this and hopefully it fits your use case. But if so, it doesn't, you can still just grab the library and, and build it yourself. That's 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 really cool. So I I really respect the you know you know like look I mean it's my game, right? Like I have I've I've got experience making games and I have opinions about how I want to spend the five years of my life as an engineer inside code making a game. And I, I, sometimes the framework can help save me time, but like sometimes I'm just like I I know what I want to do. Thank you very much. You know yeah so yep. that's right. that's really smart. Yeah, even um, to the SDK layer, you know, this is another one where a, a lot of uh, integration, you know, SDK, so this is like a, in the game engine, um, we talked a lot about there are some nicer features what we want where it's like, oh, we want maybe some rich caching layers or we want to do some of that heavy lifting or air handling. But again, this gets back to that may or may not be suitable. And so one of the foundational premise, uh, premises we take with the SDK is the raw layer is always right there. 
Yeah. And it's and it's next to. So it's like, hey, we've done this rich stuff. Maybe it does some advanced air handling. Maybe this is great. Or if yeah. you need control, you don't trust it or you can't see it or if it's not a fit, just use the raw layer. And, and we're not going to hide that from you. And we're not going to also have try to protect to look that. at the you would also be able to look at the source code for the framework. Of course. And then and then see how it's calling the raw layer and maybe even that's, change that or extend it. That's really? right. Okay. So so Eden, tell us about your customers and and I mean you don't have to name names, but like they're they're coming at you. What are their what are their pain points and what are you hearing as a you know, like as as the, the founder and CEO of the company? Like what do you what what do you see as common across them and maybe what is different across what, what are the differences as well, maybe? Yeah, no, I mean there's so many different like personas in the games industry. So I definitely want to caveat with like, I've heard almost every kind of response to like what you guys are doing is dumb to, you know, thank, thank you God for, you know, the approach that you're taking. So, I mean, we've, we've heard it all. I think the, the initial um, sort of thesis for us was that amongst the, the larger games or the games that have more extensive uh, live services, the folks that have shipped these games in the past experienced developers knew that you 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 could not get a hundred percent out of box solution and so that their approach was typically that they would just roll it themselves like if mm -hmm. you look at most of the mm -hmm. largest games most of them are not built on top of backend engines that's just mm -hmm. like a fact right <laughs> you can just go and look at anyone and and if you go and talk to those people because they have experience and because they've tried the other solutions yeah. and many many times and ended up in sort of like a dead end the reasons why they they ended up in those dead ends were typically because they 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 they, 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 they that 100% yeah. of the solution did not solve their problem right yeah and maybe it was closed source or maybe they didn't have access to change the code yeah i mean the no. black box approach from like a enterprise software standpoint is the one that is the sexiest um it, it yeah, you sounds... just want to, you, you want to call it turnkey instead it's turnkey it just works turnkey. well hold on yeah. this is actually a complex problem in a complex domain yeah, right. that's right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and and especially early on, like when Chris and I were talking to like investors, for example, that was a huge concern, right? Because it's kind of mm -hmm. like, well, you're, it's not componentized. It's not this library. It, it is sort of that framework approach, which is basically like, oh, if I, it's, it feels like an all or nothing kind of situation. And what we had to explain to people was like, you can well, out. Yeah. yeah, a lot of the, you can opt out with your plugins and extensions and a lot of the pro a lot of the challenge with building backend systems is the service to service communication and the service to service mm -hmm. connection. And it's like if we just like componentize everything or just like oh you can just take our account system but we're not going to give you anything else. We've like not solved like a lot of the problems in the yeah. first place. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And just to lean into that just a little further, there it's um again from a marketing perspective, you're like oh it's all a cart, just take what you need, you know. <laughs> right. And, and of course that's the dream. And you do want your architecture such that the everything coupling... has dependencies. So this, yes. this fundamentally has to be for you to be adding value. Yeah. The things that add value are, are going to have dependencies on your account system. That's right. And and you can't be like, well, we'll use our account system, but like I want that. Right. It's like, no, because it's built on the account system and and we can show you how to perhaps integrate. Okay, you have an exotic platform, right? Mm -hmm. You can do a platform plugin and then you can integrate within that. And I, I'm guessing exactly. that's what you would do, right? Yep. That's right. Um, yeah. But these, these, you can't, these, these are not separable concerns. Yeah. It's yes. like if you look they're, at the service, yeah. If you look at the service dependencies for the game loop, you know, so you got a lobby, you got a matchmaker, and then you got the match allocation where you're spinning mm -hmm. up game servers. It's like 
yeah, the, the data work, the data is so highly coupled and you need to do forward and backward transition at scale with a lot of players flowing through that system. And again, it's like, could you, you on the one hand, absolutely. You can go write your own game loop suite, right. And, and just build that from scratch. But when you get into the service service dependencies, the product, the nature of the actual experience is just kind of, these things are highly coupled. And so that was like, Hey, we do want to build a tools toolkit. Of course, some pieces are less coupled than others. And that's where you get into good engineering. It's like the account service is not coupled to any of the downstream services. So of course yeah. that thing, yeah. you could just use that and then write your own yeah. platform ecosystem. But obviously the reverse is not true to your point, which is like the account system underlies all pieces of data. So yeah. it's like, well, you probably can't hot swap an account service out from under your, you know, your player data store. Yeah. Yeah. Makes, makes perfect sense. So does your system support client server games with dedicated servers or do you do peer to peer as well? Or are you agnostic? We're, we're I would fairly, I would find it very difficult to be completely agnostic because if you're a server backend and I'm telling you information about the items that I have and, 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 and you, yeah, it's, it's the responsibility of the game that that's coming from a trusted source. Right? Yeah. I'd say, yeah, we probably have a bias towards the dedicated server workflow. Um, but we've, we've been talking about peer to peer workflows and it really comes down to again, how trustworthy is, the data. So you can introduce heuristics where it's like, okay, we know that this is a peer-to-peer -peer game, which means we cannot trust the match end payload that has all the stats. So what well, you can do though is- That's like yeah. a disaster. Right. Like, so like, so what I, it, I don't think there's any solution for that. There is, exactly. There's no solution. So then you can come with heuristics, which is like, well, we can configure you know, limits. And it just says, hey, for this scenario, we can never have more than a hundred of this enemy and, and you know, four sub bosses and one boss. So you, you can really just kind of create a, a a backing net where it's just like, hey, sure, somebody can it's gotta, report. It's got to be a loose. It's got to be a loose net. Yeah, it, it's, it's a loose it's net. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. that just means you calibrate your um, your content system, your really your currency and your economy gets balanced to the assumption that everyone is a cheater and reporting the max rewards per match. Mm -hmm. But you can at least put some restrictions in, and it really does get down to that type of game. Obviously, is not going to be driving the same kind of. You know, it's not going to be driving a an MMO economy with like real money, you know, uh, marketplace, right? So, so some of the deterministic lockstep games actually have each each peer running the same simulation, but there's actually a headless version running the same inputs from all players, not rendering, and that's the one that writes the post match. Yep, that's that's the way to do it. Yeah, that and and that makes so that, yeah, that's actually a that makes sense because then it's, yeah, it doesn't have to be to do it this way, but you got to okay. have that headless one. Yeah. And it can, it can still be like same input, same result. And then of course it has to be fully deterministic. Right. But now you can, it's, it's like a dedicated server exactly. for, that, it's, for that kind of peer to peer game. Yeah. So. No, that's, that's pretty cool because it fits that dedicated server. Um, and so part of the architecture for us is we expose ports um, based on the different, you know, consumers. And so we have a trusted service port and that's where your dedicated server can hit. And then we have the untrusted like partner port and that's where you're going to, and so you at least have hooks in the ecosystem of like, you know, whether the client, how still, the client can still talk up because yeah. you will still want to say things up from the client and, and you'll be like grain of salt, right? Like yeah. it might just be telemetry data, but, but yep. uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Let's see where we can go here. So um, Eden, let's switch a little bit to business side stuff. Tell me a bit about the magic of starting a company and raising capital and how you look at it. And maybe we could talk a little bit about the process raising money to start Pragma. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just in, in terms of like some of the business side too, I'd, I'd say just finalizing that other point, I will say that like, cause I said there was two personas. I think that there's the one persona who knows what they're doing 
Yeah. And they're like, I love what you guys are doing because I, I, I get what you're doing. There are folks that have less experience in platforms specifically. They could be very, very experienced game developers, uh, but they don't. They may have not dealt with a live yeah. service before. And a lot of times they're looking for the most off-the-shelf, seamless solution mm-hmm. that they can just start up on day one yeah. and start the, using. The illusion of like, I can just... I could just get this thing and it's going to work. That's right. I don't have to do a thing. I don't think that's, that's right. even possible. That's not even possible. Yeah. So, just, so it's not possible. So, even, so even part of the it, best thing in the world, if it was fully done, even if it was working for one single game, it won't work that same way for yours necessarily. Yeah. It, so, I mean, part of the business challenge is working with folks that haven't shipped live service games. And it's a lot of, and of course that's a lot of yeah. people because it, it's been a massive transition in the games industry and trying to talk through the complexity of, what we're doing here because <laughs> there are lots of solutions that feel like they're just very off the shelf. And it's like, Oh, that, well, that, that works for my use case. And, um, and so I'll just take that. So that, that's been part of it. And I, and so, so just, um, I just want to make that connection to your question around like fundraising and, um, that, you know, starting out originally, because I think there, there were some of the same concerns when we first went out for our first round of funding. Um, one, it, it, it feels very frameworky, which is like an all or nothing kind of things. Eden, so let's talk about the two personas that that you know when you're talking with customers, you've got the ones that have have experience launching a live service game, and then the ones who maybe haven't done it yet. What does it look like? How how are they different? Yeah, and so I mean, the, the ones again that have done this before, they've typically tried to use off the shelf solutions, and then very quickly realized that. I, this quest service is not done the way I need it to be done. I need to write my own quest service or mm-hmm. this matchmaker needs these edits to it. Like Chris worked on matchmaking at, uh, at Riot for like five years. And, yeah. um, you know, that the game design subject. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And you, you, obviously you could, you could get into so much fun. Yeah. 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 And we could, we could tunnel into that like a ton, obviously. So like Chris knows matchmaking extremely, extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those folks realize there is not a one size fits all solution. And they really like the fact that we have these plugins extensions and it's all like, um, you know, packaged into one, one framework. The folks that haven't uh, shipped in the past, they're looking for the easiest, most seamless, like kind of the fastest way to just sort of get started and, and something that feels very out of the box. And our, our, my job to some extent right now is to sort of try to walk a studio through what happens uh, in certain instances, like, hey, what happens when this system, the content system doesn't work the way that you want it to? Well, your game just has to conform to that system then. Yeah. Or the, the other option is that you can start writing your own backend, which means starting up a, your own AWS account, starting you know, to write your first service. And then now you have two backends that you're managing, <laughs> the off-the-shelf backend and your own custom backend. And you're dealing with all the DevOps and infra around supporting your own backend. The, yeah. the, now you have the scale properties. Now security. I got two, now I got two problems. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now you have two problems you're, you're, you're dealing with. And, and so they have to even, coordinate. Yeah. And those have to coordinate and you have, you know, many more dependencies. And, and so part of the, the challenge and in the, in the, in the instruction there is around trying to convince them like, you know, off the shelf is great. Sometimes like when you're prototyping and you're in development, it, it's fine. Like that you, yeah. you do want to just get going fast. And there are great solutions for that, but trying to help them see like, hey, what happens when you want to do this? Or what happens when, you know, it doesn't work perfectly? 
uh, or what happens when you know you're in development or you're in production and you start needing some of these more rich features, and and that's not always an easy argument <laughs> to make because a lot of times people do just want to go and just get their you know just and, go and get started quick. And we all we all have to sleep at night and do the right thing, you know. Like yeah, I I can't personally run a business where I'm like making up stuff or telling people stuff that I don't know is true. Right. So, so I always, I always go in with like, well, this is the, this is the truth as I see it. And right. um, I, I can't, I can't BS people around what's well, a turnkey thing. It'll work. I, I, I could never be in a business like that. I just don't, I just was not raised that way. And I, I, I can tell that you, you, you folks are the same way. It's like, and you have to be honest with that customer and let's face it. Uh, some solutions aren't as forthright as the customer with the customer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they can look more attractive superficially. Um, even when ultimately we have the, the, the customer's best interests in mind. Yeah, we, so, yeah, we asked we asked the customer the, that the other day. That not not our customer, someone else's customer. Like, hey, how would you recommend that we talk about Pragma when there's other people saying that everything is done already? <laughs> you know, like where everything yeah. is done. You know, I, I I face this all the time, and I mean, like it, it's it's a personal. It's a personal ethical line of like, I, I raise money. I talk with venture capitalists all the time. I, I right. clearly differentiate. This is a thing we're working on and this is roadmap and this is what's coming up. And yeah. I know this, I believe this, I think this, right? Um, and uh, I, I, can't, I can't tell a lie. And I think honestly, if you, are telling, if you are telling lies to your customers or your investors, you're going to have a very bad life, right? It's going to catch up, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, these, these things are too complex and to and and to um, this, this these these services are too important to say that you haven't done when you haven't done it yet, and you're going to rent a coder out to like some people overseas to get it done. Like that's the sort of thing where I'm like, sometimes I work with people who go out and do bids on projects, right? And and they don't have any they don't have any concern about like literally just throwing it over to people on a, on a work for hire shop somewhere else and then reselling it M more in the consulting gig that I did before this. Right. 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 Um, how, let, let, maybe, maybe let's switch to this. Like if, if, if you're a game developer and you're like, I want to do this. Do you, do you think that they should have, do you think that they should have people in house with the ability to spin up these servers and manage it or should they just have an external team do it and then deliver it? Should they use an off-the-shelf component? Should they do a hybrid in between? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean the what are they going to do? They've got nothing right now. Let's say, yeah. let's say I, I want to make a game. I've got an engine. I've got a fun game. It works in multiplayer. I want to do all this stuff. What's what are the options that I have to choose from? Yeah, I mean, I think the options today are primarily, uh, you know, there's a few of these kind of off-the-shelf like managed services, and and the story is compelling. It's like it's a, it's just an API. Just sign up. You don't have to deal with Amazon, you know, resources or Google Cloud. Um, you know, it's all just taken care of for you. And, and I think that, and then your other option is obviously you build it in house, and hopefully you got enough money and time to hire that team. Um, and then, you know, I think that what we're trying is this new idea of what if you have a source code engine that has like a, an architectural foundation for you, but also we are inviting you to, yes, you're going to help operate this thing to some degree. Yes, you're going to have to author. So platform if I code. use your solution, would I be deploying that and running in the AWS or a Google Cloud? So the plan right now is basically to support, it's kind of like that open core model, right? With open source, where it's like you can download the package and deploy it yourself, or you can do some kind of managed enterprise relationship, or eventually you get to oh, the so you, manage. So you guys can run it as well, or, or anything that they prefer. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, but our, our story is basically like, hey, you know, it's going to be really hard and expensive to hire, you know, 10 Google engineers. <laughs> They're really hard to, to pull away, but you still are going to have to have, you know, a couple of folks in-house. And, and to that point, your game is going to have unique needs. And so that's kind of our, our bent is like, you know, we're trying to alleviate that 80%, but also you're going to need some in-house support for sure. And yeah. the, the biggest challenge, I think, with the off-the-shelf stuff is the moment you need one thing from that API that it doesn't do for you, and then you log on to Amazon or Google and spin up a cloud resource, suddenly all of the promises that were made, which is you don't have to think about infra, you don't have to think about security, yeah. you've lost it all, right? From that first step. And it usually happens where it's like, oh, let's just make a little, you know, MongoDB and just like get something going. And then suddenly you're just on your way. Yeah. And it's a steep learning curve. And honestly, it's not that bad for that to be something that a team levels up in over time. Yeah, um, yeah, Absolutely. What would the what would the ideal use case like? What would the what would the customer experience say? Like, I am this customer. I've 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 got a super fun game. I'm launching it. It's really fun. It's getting traction, and I I got to get serious with live services. I have some time, right? What would be the ideal journey that you'd like to take them on with your product, Eden? Yeah, I mean, be, could be like over over a period of years. Yeah, no, I'd say like typically like. Again, we, we try to be fairly transparent. Um, up to date, we have not tried to migrate a live game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been working with uh, studios that are in development. I mean, we, yeah. we obviously want to go after that eventually and, and, and have just been trying to stay measured. Um, there are like games that are, I'll say like sort of multiplayer, but not live services that are looking to make that transition. We've, we, we've talked to one studio recently that is um, making that transition transition that has now tried is now on their second uh, backend as a service and, and trying to trying to make it work and and, and just running into in, into bumps uh, here and there I'll say that like like if we were to take on a, a customer like that again they had some multiplayer features they're trying to go live service um, you know I, I would say that it, it's probably on the order of at least six months in order to to and, and that's you got to be you know, that's a that. pretty yeah yeah, that's an aggressive timeline. Uh, I think that's it, it's likely like even longer. <laughs> yeah, and this actually kind of takes us back to that library versus framework idea, right? So the, our goal is to be as useful as possible. And when you go frameworky and you're more opinionated, obviously you can do more on behalf of the the customer. So, but so rigid, exactly. But you're rigid. Yeah. So that's I, what I'd say is like our kind of idealized future. Once the kind of you know once we hit that level of like general availability and, and maturity mm-hmm. is. If you're a studio and you're already live and you want to do something quick, okay, you're going to opt into those rigid framework features and you're going to kind of take what's out of box. But importantly, you got a platform to grow into, which is you've got that that library right next to you. And so as you grow and get more sophisticated, it's like, hey, I don't like the canned battle pass system that's built in. We're going to do our much fancier, more dynamic content system that's deeper into, you know, like, let's say we operationalize the, uh, oh man, what is the... uh, the nemesis system, right? Like the coolest, like dynamic game system. It's like, what if you turn that into some kind of dynamic reward system in your live service game too? I was, was thinking the of one in the, was that the one in the Orcs game? The, the yeah. Brothers the, the Lord did? of the Rings. Yeah. You know, that was cool. I, I just remember that was such about that from a game design point of view, that was like, yeah. And it was so nuts. And so it's like, what if you wanted to turn some really in, you know, in like innovative game feature and you're like, Hey, how do we turn that into something where people can also, you know, Buy and sell or cats uh, as part of I don't know. Basically, I'm just trying to get at the. <laughs> let's, let's just let's just put it this: designers are incredibly creative about what they ask for in the game. Right, that's right. and, and it's not going to stop, right? Yeah. And and as an as an engineer, we just need to we just need to get it done. 
And uh, you're not going to get that. You're not going to get everything that your designers want done necessarily with a turnkey solution. That's yeah. right. You're going to have to accept limits initially and then widen out over time. Yeah, right. we're, we're also, I would say we're not against the turnkey solution either. I, we we, yeah, we yeah, want to yeah. actually. It's a good, good starting point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we want to make a turnkey solution. And then the difference for us will be that we you want the to turnkey. Have substance. You don't have substance behind it. Yeah. And a, a deeper level of, of, of a deeper path for, yeah. for the and, engineering and, team to level up within your, your structure without telling them what to do per se. That's yeah, right. right. And, and we want our turnkey solution to have a like a, a way out, in other words, mm-hmm. a way to level up to something that they can ultimately start writing their own services for yeah. eventually. And that really so. is where it, it is good to, to, to think of it as guiding a studio to managing and running their own live service teams and their own backend yeah. from, from zero to hero. And here's a code page where you can start with a turnkey solution, grow in and expand and customize. And now, you, now you've got, now you can start running portions of it. Yeah. Um, it, it, it that's, that's a really enlightened way to do it because that's, that's the truth. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. That's that's really what's going to happen. And you never you never want to code drop from a team that you're no longer working with that work for here. Here it is, it's done. Right. <laughs> okay, cool. All right. Well, the designer had an idea this morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not in that. So um, wow. So there's there's definitely there's definitely iteration there. So uh, maybe maybe we could transition to the to the to the business founding side, Eden, a little bit with the uh, uh, the process where you, you you folks all came together and 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 how you decided to do the, do the raise. Yeah, yeah. So um, so you are you are a little bit connected in that space. How did that happen for starters? I'm curious. Yeah. Um, so I guess I don't know how, how did that happen. I, I'd say like so it's interesting. So I, I I played games a lot when I was young, but I I had not worked in the games industry for yeah. my whole career worked in you know hedge fund industry which had like obviously like had worked with folks that had deep pockets there but still oh weren't my God. VCs. i know what it is i know what it is you're half vc you're like blade <laughs> <laughs> you're the day I'm a, I'm a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. i'm an imposter i'm an imposter here we go yeah 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 no 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 i i know so I, I when i moved to la and i started working in tech uh i started um building effectively a work for hire shop yeah, and at that work for hire shop, uh, we were doing a lot of work for venture back companies, yeah, um, and okay. so part of that was uh, I had met a lot of VCs through effectively being the technical voice of that mm-hmm. company. Uh, so VC would come to us and they they'd want to vet, you know, like who yeah. built this backend, <laughs> and yeah, you know, are some, they legit? It's like tech, uh, tech so, diligence, tech diligence stuff, or yeah, exactly. So yeah. we we ended up being a you know highly reputable. Uh, back-end systems integrator um, mm-hmm. at like a lot of these venture back companies. And so, yeah, yeah I had, had met a lot of people through that, I'd say. Um, and, and so, yeah, when Chris and I met, I, I was fairly confident um, that, that I could, I could raise you'd some money. Seen the, you'd seen the pain as well from, from what you'd done before. Yeah. Yeah. I, That's I, important. you didn't just, just, let's just do this. I've never done this before. It's like, no, right. I'm, right. I'm, yeah. I've yeah, seen it for, done, yeah. you know, many, many times uh, already and, and, and guided, founders through it, talked to VCs on the diligence side, mm-hmm. had lots of relationships and that kind of deal. So Chris had basically been like, oh, I never want to, you know, you know, do the fundraise stuff again. And I was like, hey, I haven't coded in, I don't know, six years or more, eight years. And 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 Chris was like, that's what I want to do. I want to, you know, spend time like actually programming and like, you know, 
managing engineers and you guys know that you can do, you can do wield though you can do wield i was working <laughs> i was working on an enet integration for a customer i was integrating i was literally between calls in in my last fundraising round that i'm working on right now uh i was literally doing enet integration for a customer in turkey between vc calls <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah <laughs> that that was i'm just saying you can, you can you can do a wield <laughs> but it hurts a little bit yeah so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So congratulations for you guys for for maybe being smarter than me i, I honestly would have to say well, well i've no, got to say uh, yeah oh go ahead chris I, I mean i did it the hard way which is i quit my job and i announced i'm starting a company and you know i didn't have credentials and i didn't have the the network and so i i'm yeah, grateful for having pretty yeah. important I'm very grateful to have had that experience um, prior to doing this because, you know, I, I am, it's great to be partnered with Eden and to have that cap, you know, we have enough capitalization to like pursue our product plan, yeah. but having lived just trying uh, without kind of that um, support uh, was definitely something that I'm, I'm grateful for because then it, you don't take it for granted. Um, yeah. No, no yeah. I think, I think, I think many, I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say many folks who, who, who were lucky enough to have raised, those who haven't yet, you know, if they if before that they didn't really go hand to mouth for a good period of time to really understand how lucky they are, exactly. they may not have as good a perspective as you do because um, money money. I like I like to view the money that that is raised as it's it's not like, it's not like wow I've got all this money I can do anything. It kind of feels a little bit like that, but but I I kind of look at it in the in the inverse, which is yep. I've got such an obligation to my investors. It's like I've I've been entrusted with like this has to be used wisely and we need to create a return on this. That that that, that I'm, this is not for me to spend. This is for us to use um, to to get the return our investors need, and and that's a huge responsibility. So uh, it's it's tough to write code and think about that at the same time. Let's put it that way. No, I mean like honestly, like it's it's obviously like a very flush environment for cash now uh, doesn't mean it's easy to raise money it's still you no, know it's extremely never easy. Yeah, never it's never easy. easy no matter how flush it is um but i in the process of raising money there were several times i thought about like maybe i should just invest in pragma too as well <laughs> i mean i got so convinced of, yeah. you know going through the process about what we were doing uh that i was just like this is such I, I a put, great team and I such a great 25K idea. I put 25K in my first safe round when I did family and friends with everybody. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. And then the end of it, someone begged me to, and I was like, I've got no more room. And I gave him my slot. Yeah, I gave it to myself. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, you do have to have that kind of belief because you're going to take a lot of hits, right? And, and there's a yeah. lot of rejection in the process. There's a lot of people who are going to, you know, they're going to break down that problem space and, and just say, hey, look, these people came before you. They've already tried this. This hasn't worked. And, you know, so I do think you have to have that conviction, you know, kind of internally and, and having a team can I, be really helpful. I can't, I can never, I can never pitch something I don't fully believe in as well. Like I, I, I would, I would hope everyone else on the planet is the same thing, is the same, but I suspect maybe not. I think there are probably some, some people pitching who are not completely honest and forthright and, Kind of polish it up a little bit, and you know, aren't, aren't as forthcoming with the truth. But but I've always had that. I've always had that point of view of like, I want to be rejected. If I'm going to get rejected, I want to be rejected truthfully on on what I'm pitching, the best to the best of my ability. 
And the only time I get frustrated on a rejection is if I didn't communicate it well enough and it's a fault of my communication that they're rejecting something which doesn't match what we are necessarily. Any, any other rejection I could take, right? So, so it's, it's like, maybe, maybe, this is a, maybe this is a good topic. How, how do you deal with that rejection? Eden and, Eden and Chris? I mean, you, you must have had yeah. tens, twenties, oh, hundreds yeah. of rejections. Yeah, easily. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like having seen this done, uh, you know, a lot of times before and having helped other people, um, I think you have to start going into it with extremely thick skin, I think, mm-hmm. at the outset um, in terms of like, yeah, I mean, like I've had like someone that I've been friends with for, you know, 10, 15 years, uh, you know, just been like, no, <laughs> you know, and you're just like, yeah. I thought we were friends uh, and all that. And, and that's, you know, it's like, it's not, you know, the way, it, you know, it's not, it's, it's, and that's where not, it's like, it's just not a game of being friends with people. It just no. doesn't swing it. No, 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 I mean, and if it did, it would be horrible. Really? Yeah, no, totally. So it's, it, it isn't just network. I think a lot of it is like, for me, like part of it is just like, you want to take, you want to try. I mean, I think there's a healthy balance. On one hand, VCs don't know everything. And in many cases, they're, they don't know much about the technology at all yeah. uh, in many cases. Um, and, and you have to take that into account. Yeah. On the other hand, these, the, some of these people are fairly intelligent people and they've been able to pattern match across yeah. a lot of different people and make decisions that in some cases made their investors a lot of money. Yeah. And I think for me, there's always like, what can I learn from why I got rejected? Mm-hmm. Um, is it because I'm not telling the story in a clear way? Like you're saying, is it because, um, you know, they misunderstood something because of what mm-hmm. so i think there's a sometimes, level of like sometimes self- they're pattern matching to a bad experience or something historical and they couldn't even explain they couldn't even explain to you any more than a, a doctor of 50 years experience would instantly go it's that but i don't know why yeah no right? that's exactly right too and yeah. i would say it, it's similar to our business as well like i mean we've had studios that didn't want to go with us and um yeah you know there's an element of like oh we could just be like they don't know what they're talking about, right? That that's a, and, and there's and that could be true, and, and it could not be true. But ultimately, for me, it's like it's pretty toxic I'm, to think that way. You yeah, know? yeah, it's it's not it's not important. It's not like important. The important thing is like they made a decision, and that decision was based off of their perspective. And like, if I don't think that it's the right answer, then I need to do a better job communicating, like towards like whatever perspective they have. So I think that's just like communication in general or sales in general, whether that be like raising money from investors or talking to studios or anything. Yeah. It's a funny thing because sales and, and, and raising, it really is just a different audience for sales. Yeah. It's, it's, it it's exactly the same skill set. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, it's funny if you just talk about the, the mental model you use, like I'll have, I'll, I'll do two video game kind of polls on the you know, the kind of life lessons you can take from. So the one would be, you know, people talk about like ELO hell or, you know, which is like, oh, I'm playing a ranked ladder and man, all these idiots on my team are letting me down every game. And, you know, I'm really better than all of them, but I just can't make it. And that is such a toxic mentality because it doesn't matter if your team lets you down. The only thing you can do is analyze yourself, look for your own mistakes. And that all translates one-to-one exactly into the professional sphere, whether you're pitching, you know, a startup or whether you're just working on a team. Uh, and, and on the thick skin side, you know, it is interesting working on 
a very large video game for which, you know, it, it, it turns out if there's 100 million players out there and you make 90 million of them happy with your latest feature, you still have millions of screaming, angry people writing just yeah. vitriolic, and and you know, and they're, and they're loud and they're loud. And, and uh, yeah, you know, uh, perhaps, and, it, perhaps it feels like 100 percent are feeling that way. That's right. And, and so the, and that actually also gets into like, you know, telemetry and measuring it. But oh my but God, for you me, need that because you can't measure it off Twitter. You've got to, that's right. you got to be like, actually, this is not very prevalent. And these people were just very loud. Yeah. And, and then of course she just, okay, I'm just going to keep that up here and not tell anyone. Yeah. But, and, and, and I think there are some like distilled like life lessons that you can take from those things though, which is like, there will always be somebody who's got something negative to say to you and you have yeah. to decide what you're going to do with that. And again, yeah. if you internalize that, and, and let that eat at you, it's going to really uh, consume yeah. you. But at the, if you can get that separation and say, hey, they're coming from a perspective, they've yeah. got something to say, and that doesn't have to reflect back on me. And I think those are absolutely the kind of you know skills you have to develop if you're going to go sell or pitch anything because you're going to hear no a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. So, I mean, for me, I honestly, it just rolls off my back these days. But, um, you, you, you know, like it's... It's sort of just I don't I don't seek validation from them funding me. Do you see what I mean? What yeah. I'm really looking for is who is the person cool enough to work with me? And it, not <laughs> not in an ego way, but in a like, no, who can I hang with? Like who is someone who I can hang with who I, I would love to have board meetings where the, the person is contributing awesome ideas. And, and, you know, not, not like, well, let's put the email through the database server and, you know, oh, it doesn't work because whatever it's like, no, I don't, I don't want to waste time on that, but it is really more than capital. It, it is, you know, the network of the investor, it's the specific partner. And, and one yeah. of our, one of our investors from earlier rounds, Robin Vassan just says, look, just find someone who really believes in you. So if people filter themselves out by, by having objections or pattern matching or whatever, that's okay because it's not the right, it's not the right time or the right partner or the right firm or even we're not the right opportunity for that. But that doesn't right. that doesn't mean that we're not good. It could. You've always right. got to kind of consider that. It, I mean, you don't go in there and it's not it's not a swagger game here, right? Right. No, and, and that's the balance I'm talking about. Where it's like you you, you want to learn from every situation, but at yeah. the same time you can't. You know, there there are many reasons do, why. Do you wear this it. hat while pitching? Uh, I probably do. Honestly, yeah. I'm, I, this is like my <laughs> hat that I leave, I leave in the office. Uh, so. Yeah, yeah. Forget everything we've said. Just buy Eden's hat. Buy Eden's yeah. hat. Yeah. Go you'll, to you'll, you'll uh, my money. website where I'll be selling these hats now. Uh, no, I um, I cut my own hair for the last uh, twenty years, and I am typically just too embarrassed to show people what the manifestation of that uh, that haircut. That's why you wear so this hats. is the this is the secret. Get Eden Chen to cut your hair before you pitch VC. Well, I actually did the, I, I did the math a while back on like how much money you save over the course of a that's uh, actually really a, smart yeah. of a lifetime. Yeah, um, so, something like close to like eighty to one hundred thousand dollars, and that's not this is like amazing. Including, yeah. This is like between two barber chairs. Yeah, um, I on this show, I'm gonna I'm gonna admit to the world that I I too cut my own hair. Do you really? I do. I cut my own hair. That's amazing. And a lot I of just, people are doing it with COVID now, obviously, yeah. but um, just don't get haircuts until my wife gets too upset with me. When I was in like high school and college, it was like a money thing, but um, now no, it's, it, it's honestly just a time thing. 
Yeah, it's 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 you can get it done. You don't have to go in and see someone. It, I don't. Yeah. Hey, the time it takes for me to everybody. go to it. Yeah, life I hack. mean, the time it takes to go for a barber, it just takes too long. Yeah, yeah. I I always thought that the whole barber kind of thing of like you know like the NYC, you go into the barber on your way to work, and he's like, boop, 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 you know, Eddie Murphy would do your hair or something like that. And uh, you, you, I mean, that's that's an NYC thing, right? right? That's that's not what I grew up with. It's like guy drive. How long have you had the? How long have you had the mustache for? This, this is the COVID mustache. Oh, just just since COVID. I I deflect all blame around other elements of my hairstyle <laughs> with with this that, that attracts all scorn. Are you are you keeping it? You going to keep it long term? I think so. I think it's physically a part of me now. Like there's a point where there's a point where a mustache kind of turns into like an eyebrow, and you're like, I wouldn't shave an eyebrow, right? <laughs> That's crazy. Which is exactly the same. It's just above your lip. Uh, it's, it's, you heard it here first, everyone. Yeah, we've solved uh, server scale, shipping server scale, service games, facial and, uh, hair. Cut your own hair, and <laughs> uh, you can you can buy a house apparently in fifty years in in Kansas. Yeah, no, it's all good. Well, guys, awesome chatting with you, and uh, you know, far ranging interview here. I mean, we've gone we've gone across many different topics and got to got to learn a bit about both of you folks. I I feel that you know each of you we could probably do another hour. You know, so let's let's do a follow up, and and maybe Eden will will drill in a little bit on on business and and Chris matchmaking. I think oh, I think there's a one hour on matchmaking. He could, he could it, do yeah. he could no do a long question. one on matchmaking all day no long, twenty four hour. We'll all matchmaking all the time. The matchmaking yeah. channel. Yeah. All right. Love well, it. thank you everybody, and uh, have a great rest of the day. See you later. Cheers. Cheers. Here's the hard truth. The internet doesn't care about your game. After all the blood, sweat and tears you put into making your game, you launch and some players get terrible network performance. What can you do about it? Build your own internet? This is why we created Network Next. Network Next is a radically new way of linking networks together. It's a new internet. One where networks compete on a neutral marketplace to carry your game's traffic. Network Next puts you, the game developer, in control of the network. We monitor every player's network performance and you choose when to accelerate them. Not only will you see better network performance for your players, you'll also have the security of knowing that if one network is congested, we switch to another in seconds. Now you control the network.